You are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. We have been talking about the gospel. We have been making our way through the book of Acts, kind of discussing uh, the gospel in our eyes, the gospel is something we have seen visibly. And of course, that's not us. We haven't seen it physically, but we've seen it in our hearts. And we left uh, Paul in trial, uh, and he was actually going to be uh, led by the Spirit and uh, crazy circumstances to Rome. He is headed to Rome to appeal to Caesar in relation to his case, a case that has been going on for what seems to be forever. And uh, it's happened in several different courts and in front of many different leaders and judges and rulers. And now he is finally on his way to Rome. But as you can imagine in Paul's life, it won't go according to plan. And Paul actually, maybe even cynically, predicts this and things go from bad to worse, but yet we will get to the end of chapter 27, and he will be well on his way to Rome. But last week and the week before, we kind of looked at a two-part sermon series, like one big sermon shoved into two different sermons, uh, discussing the gospel realities. And there's a spiritual reality to the gospel that by the resurrection you can't unsee, Once the Spirit has come into your life and Christ has been made alive in your heart, you can't unsee that reality. Um, But also there are historical realities to the gospel as well that Paul, in his defense, makes uh, makes it very clear. These things did not happen in a corner. Right? This, was not, uh, this, this, this stuff did not happen in a back alley uh, where no one really knows and it's very obscure. No, this happened right underneath the nose of all the uh, public officials uh, and the leaders and the religious. It happened right in front of everybody so everyone can see. And these two ideas, the historical realities of the gospel and then the spiritual realities of the gospel, give our hearts assurance that God is on the move. And he continues to be on the move here. So tonight, uh, we're going to discuss a lot of uh, nautical things as we discussed, uh, but you're also going to get something fairly interesting in this chapter as well. So we're going to read the whole chapter, so I'm going to set the stage a little bit so you can uh, be informed as a, as a listener and as a reader. Luke is going to give probably his most detailed account of any story or any little tiny narrative that he's given in this chapter. And I haven't brought this up yet, but actually Luke has been on the scene for a couple chapters now. Uh, And if you've noticed the uptick in surprising detail of Luke, you're onto something because Luke has actually been present with Paul uh, for this last little leg of the journey. And what we're going to find here is that Luke is also with Paul in this massive shipwreck as well. So the detailed accounts that you get um, are simultaneous, they're, they're a little confusing. It's, it's a little bit of a, of a treasure hunt. You're trying to find which details actually matter to me. <laughs> they all matter, but some of these are like Luke's literal firsthand account. So for instance, if you go to, ch- uh, to verse 3, you can see real quick, I'll just give you an example of this, l- one little uh, detail. He says, the next day, 
we put in a boat at Sidon, and Julius uh, treated Paul kindly and gave him leave uh, to go to his friends to be cared for. That's not the verse I'm talking about. Go to verse 2. Uh, and embarking on the ship, which was about to set sail, uh, we put to sea, accompanied, accompanied by Aristarchus. And you're like, oh, Aristarchus, that's going to be important. That do- He's not important at all. It's just this cool little thing that Luke put in. He actually shows up in Philemon. He shows up in Colossians. And it gives credibility to Luke's account here, which is really cool. These little details kind of allow Luke to feel credible. I don't think Luke is saying that for that sake, but for us, it helps Luke's story check out. Uh, But it's easy to get sidetracked by a bunch of details that Luke gives here. And I say that as a reader, don't get sidetracked. If you like go down a rabbit hole in your mind and you're like, ooh, that's important. It might not be. It may be, but it might not be. So hang on to the big story. Okay, that's, that's basically what I'm trying to tell you. Hang on to the big story uh, and listen, listen that way. All right, but the big idea, as you read, I'm going to give away the punchline here right away. Here's the big idea. The gospel is God's saving wisdom for every situation. The gospel, Jesus' death and his resurrection, that message, that good news of God's gift to us, in Jesus, is God's saving wisdom for every situation. And yes, that even includes when you are shipwrecked. Maybe even especially when you are shipwrecked. So this is what we are leaning into. So let's go ahead and read. I am going to read with some aspect of commentary. Okay, so don't don't let this sidetrack you either. Try to, try to stay on board. I'll try to do my best. But I do, I'm like, this is the only way I felt like I, I could communicate some of the details without getting bogged down. All right, so I might make a little side commentary, but we'll try to catch the big picture. All right, here we go. Acts 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, we being Luke as well, they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coasts of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which is near the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out out to sea from there on chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. 
And when the south, blind, south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship caught, and, and, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee island called Clauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And actually, we'll stop our reading. I meant to give some commentary. I got lost in the story. It's a beautiful story. Verse, verse 13. I actually, go back to verse 9. There's a couple things that are, that are helpful here. Um, notice real quick in this story how many times Paul indicates, or Luke indicates, the difficulty of the journey. He'll say several times even more, and with difficulty we did this, and with difficulty this happened. You can almost sense like Paul's constant um, uh, frustration even with the trial has now bled over into this sailing course and now every step of their journey is continually met with difficulty. Just when they thought it was smooth, boom, there's more difficulty. Just when they thought they had a decent plan, there was more difficulty. And even when they put a plan that was seemingly fail-proof, which we'll get to in a little bit, they actually realized it became more difficult than they thought. Sometimes life can be difficult, and it's okay. It's really what I wanted to say about that idea. I think a lot of times we get frustrated by our constant occurrence of difficulty in our lives, as if something was going wrong with us or there was some massive flaw that kept us running into difficulties. And certainly, like, there are things in life that do raise more difficulties than others, but sometimes in life, God just has difficulty for his people. And it's okay. Sometimes that difficulty is being used as a way to help just lift your eyes to the reality that you're not God. And it's okay. And surely on this little journey, the difficulty that Luke raises here is to help us understand that sometimes as you're making travel and you're doing things the right way, and as you're going about it with a bunch of wisdom in front of you, it's still hard. Just shows that we need Jesus more and more. They get to Fair Havens here, and uh, they thought that they were at a good stopping point, no need, we're picking up supplies, maybe doing some uh, passenger swap. We don't really know exactly why they stopped in Fair Havens, but they did stop for a little while. We have there in verse 9, since much time had passed. Uh, they, we and scholars believe that a lot of the preceding travel before Fair Havens happened late summer, maybe July or August. And so this indication in verse 9 that much time had passed probably indicates a couple months the reality is we have uh, Luke giving us a little indication as to uh, the timing of this travel based on the next line of verse 9. The voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. This is a clear reference to Yom Kippur or uh, the Day of Atonement, which happens in mid to late fall, uh, you know, around uh, October, maybe even into November, uh, depending on the time. And the, so this had already passed, indicating that maybe it had been a couple months since the journey had finally landed in Fair Havens. But now also they had a little conundrum. In that little span of time from September to December is a very difficult time to travel uh, on the sea in this particular part of the country. And just so you guys know, I learned a lot 
about seafaring uh, this way, and it wanted me, it just like made me really want to play more Catan. Like, yes, I just like seafarers, like let's go. That's what it really made me lean into, but I learned way too much uh, in this little portion of, of scripture. But at this point, they had a little conundrum because winter is coming, which is uh, the worst time to travel in the sea, but also the times that you can travel on the sea, the, the fall months are really the most dangerous that you can travel. And so do you spend time in Fairhaven, which was at, at the very end of verse 12, uh, it actually says that's a horrible place to spend your winter, probably like Ohio, right? The winds, is they, uh, Paul refers to it as it being open, like just like open to the wind. So if you're on a boat in a port, uh, you're probably not just wanting to hang out um, on, um, on the lake there in Cleveland. That's probably not someplace you want to just exist. So do you fight the hard travel and get to a better winter spot, uh, or you d- do you just hunker down in Fairhaven uh, during that time? Well, the rest of the boat, everybody not named Paul, said, let's travel and see if we can get to uh, Florida for the winter, right? Of course, it wasn't Florida, but you get the point. But also, Paul had this little inclination, no, I, I actually think we need to stay. And this is really where we pick up in verse 13. Uh, the wind, uh, when, this, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose. This is, uh, this is the classic phrase, the calm before the storm. Uh, I don't know exactly what the uh, sailors were all thinking. We do have this assumption that maybe this was going to be a safe travel Uh, but they really should have known. Maybe this demonstrated a little bit of a a lack of experience in in the sailors here. They were ready to go. They were like, yay, we got a good start, but they should have known that this is a classic uh, northeastern kind of scenario here where you get a calm south wind, and then the northeastern wind rolls in, and that northeastern is uh, basically a short way of saying that's a hurricane. That would be a northeaster are the kinds of things that they track as like they're going to give they start with a and this is northeastern anna and then b this is northeastern beatrice or whatever the storm is they they these are the ones that they would track these are those kinds of storms and they really should have known that this was coming due to the uh the gentleness of the south wind but also a little helpful indication uh, even here yes sometimes life is just difficult and it's okay. And sometimes life is really smooth. And the shoe's about to drop. <laughs> that would be our own cynicism dropping in. But also, like, so- sometimes you going through a smooth patch of life doesn't always mean you're doing everything right. It doesn't mean that, in one sense, you're good to go. Sometimes there is something looming. And guess what? You still need Jesus just as much as when you started the tough patch as you do the smooth patch. It should give you that kind of awareness. Hey, we're still on this side of heaven. Bad things still happen. Northeastern still blow. I need to be prepared. I need to still be vigilant about my own heart, even in the good times. Helpful little reminder even there. All right, let's go to verse 15, and we'll keep on with our our reading and our little commentary. When the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it, and were driven along. They were caught in the middle of this hurricane. Running under the lee of the small island of uh, Cauda, or some people call it Clauda, we managed with difficulty four things. And here's another difficulty thing. And uh, Luke's going to list four things that they gave their best crack at in the middle of this hurricane. Number one, 
with difficulty, we tried to secure the ship's boat. Every little ship, actually, this would, this would be a big ship. We're going to get information about it. It's a pretty big ship that they were on. But they had another ship actually towing behind it at this point, uh, like, a little, like a little dinghy, a little uh, safety boat, but also a little thing that they could port with and then send the little dinghy into the port and they could you know, commute that way back and forth. Well, you know, in the middle of a hurricane, you don't want this little dinghy attached to the back of your ship and that causing any problems. And so they they with difficulty tried to bring it in, but they finally, they finally got it in. Uh, verse 17, after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Cool little nautical lesson here. Of course, back in that day, they're not working with things that we work with, right? They didn't have welders. This isn't a metal ship. They didn't have bolts and screws like we have. So they had to fit it all together, some amazing woodwork to fit it all together. But even then, the boat was tended to give and to flex a little bit. So we're in these, one of these northeasterns. They actually had to use uh, different kinds of rods and poles, maybe even some ropes and straps to try to contain the ship together. So if you can imagine like the, the same thing you do on the way to family vacation where you bungee cord all of your things to the top of your van just to kind of hold it all together, right? It's safe up there, right? That thing's okay. But then you've got extra bungees just to, you know, tighten things down. And they finally got the core of the ship uh, where it needed to be. In the middle of 17, then fearing that they would run aground uh, on the citrus or the citrus, they lowered the gear or they lowered the, the mainstay. Uh, some of your Bibles may even have a footnote that refers to that citrus uh, as quicksand, which you're like, what is quicksand doing in the middle of the ocean? Well, they actually considered a little patch of uh, coral reef uh, and, and, and sand in the middle of this part of the ocean that uh, it was known that ships would actually run aground and literally, like, as winds would carry you across the coral reef, it would eat your ship alive and just take you down. So they were very concerned about getting across this or facing this, and so to get by this little situation, they had to lower the, the gear or the main mast there, and thus they were, uh, they were driven along. Verse 18, since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day, to the fourth thing that they tried, to jettison the cargo. And then on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Lighten the load. Certainly these were experienced sailors, but they tried everything that they possibly could just to keep the boat on track, just to keep the boat afloat. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. That's a classic Luke phrase, right? No small something, always referring to that idea, which simultaneously means a very great tempest was upon us. Here's the kicker in verse 20. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They were as good as dead. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, uh, of the God to whom I belong and I, uh, of whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar." And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. 
So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, and as they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and, uh, uh, and uh, found 20 fathoms. And a little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that they might run into the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurions and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from your head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained unmovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Truly an amazing story. An amazing story. A very detailed account. Almost like, I mean, this could be a novel. This could be a, this could be a movie. It's fantastic. This is a little hard to interpret, to be very honest. I really went round and round a couple ways to think like, okay, like, so they hit a bunch of rocks and there are a bunch of sailors doing sailor things. Like, what, what is this to me? This is why I don't go on boats. Certainly why Quentin doesn't go on boats. Quentin has a horrible seasickness, if you don't know. Horrible. There's some great stories about it, but we don't have time for them here. This is hard to interpret. And in many ways, like every passage of narrative scripture, we take it literal, we take it straight up, uh, especially when it's a really great detailed account like Luke gives. There'd be no reason for us to not, not go off the, uh, the literal interpretation. We're certainly going to do that tonight. There are going to be ways that we can actually take some of these things and apply them right to our lives, um, even in really challenging circumstances that God gives to us. There is wisdom for us to understand uh, in this story. But also, as I was studying, I couldn't help but, but notice and realize just how Christ-like Paul was. 
it's easy for us to really kind of see types of Christ, especially in Old Testament portions of Scripture, where we are looking forward to the fulfillment of all these things that we see in front of us. So, for instance, we read the story of Moses, or we read the story of Abraham, or we read the story of Joseph, or certainly we read the story of David, and we see not only the life of, of David himself and apply those things right to David and his life, but then we also begin to apply those lives to the realities of Jesus himself. Those things are actually picked up, especially in the book of Hebrews, which is probably the greatest uh, uh, commentary on the Old Testament that there is. And uh, the author of Hebrews begins to pick these up. Yes, it was David's life. Yes, it was Abraham. Yes, it was Moses. But also those things were Jesus. You can see Jesus square in the life of David, fulfilling uh, really some really amazing uh, aspects of David's life. Jesus is seen as the better David or the better Moses. But we have a harder time on this side of the resurrection looking back and attributing things back to the life of Christ. And certainly there would be a danger to kind of allegorizing this story or maybe even making out Paul to be uh, a Christ figure in some aspects of this story. But also I do think this begins to highlight and maybe even shape Paul's theology of what it means to be in union with Christ, especially this side of the resurrection. Maybe as we see Paul interacting in ways that actually reflect the gospel itself, maybe that's even to cause us to take a look at our lives presently and say, how much of my life is me or how much is Christ at work in me? Which would reflect Paul's great, uh, wonderful verse in uh, in, in the book of Galatians where he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, in my flesh, I live by faith. It takes spiritual sight to see the real me at work, if that makes sense. If I can say it this way, it takes eyeballs of faith for me to see that this isn't my real life. It is my real life, but my real life is actually Christ alive in me, Christ at work in me. And we're also going to see this here in this story. So I I really want you to see two things. I do want you to see some very practical wisdom that you can apply to your life based on this story. But more importantly than that, I want you to see how, as we have here in the big idea, that really the gospel, the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a gift to you, that is God's saving wisdom for every situation in your life. And we're going to see that Uh, very clearly here in this passage. All right, so I want to hit really quickly uh, a couple different aspects of wisdom that God begins to give and then use in Paul's life through this story. Uh, And then we're going to wrap it up focusing our hearts on Christ himself. The first thing I want you to see is that God gave Paul relational wisdom. God gave Paul, through the, in the story, you can see very clearly, God giving to Paul wisdom as, it, as how it relates to interacting with one another in ways that are significant. Wisdom and how to relate with one another. Don't forget, Paul in this situation is a prisoner. You might have lost that in your reading. because may, You may actually thought like Paul was captaining this giant ship. No, Paul's a prisoner. And what you begin to see is not Paul wiggling his way politically, but just simply taking care, letting his own 
testimony, if you want to say it that way, letting his own life and ministry and the character that God built into his life, letting that kind of shine through the realities of who Paul was in this very darkened situation to the point where you begin to see like Paul's leadership skills are actually influencing people in a significant way to save people's lives. It's pretty incredible. The first thing I want you to see is that God gave him favor with folks. God gave him favor with people. You can see this all the way back in verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends to be cared for. Paul got the, the cruise treatment. Paul get to have, got to have some excursions as a prisoner. They got into port, and I can almost guarantee that Paul went right into the church at Sidon there, which is actually recorded in Scripture that there was a church plant at Sidon. You can almost guarantee Paul's like, I'm at church on Sunday. I'm there. Got this cool little stop. Can you imagine him showing up to church? Like, what, are you, what are you doing here? Like, supported here. I thought you were in prison. I kind of am. Kind of on house arrest. They let you out? Yeah, had good behavior. Doing well. But he had enough clout with a guy that he just met. And, you know, I don't you know, it's hard to say exactly. Maybe Festus wink, wink at the captain, like, dude, this guy's innocent. All right. He wants to go to Rome. I don't know why. He should be at home, but he's not. He claims he's on this mission to try to proclaim the gospel, something like that. He's fine. He's not going to hurt anybody. Just take it easy on him. Oh, he's also a Roman citizen, so don't, don't screw this up, <laughs> or your life might be on the line. But either way, however it worked, Paul, this prisoner, gets to basically walk around like a free man. I think there's a couple reasons for it. Pause. Verse 10, God also gave him a voice with the people. So he gave him favor with people, but he gave him a voice with the people. If you go down to verse 10, you can see this. You, you know this just by reading it. He says, sirs, he just pipes up. No one asked him. He just says, sirs, hey, hey, Paul here. Look, this is going to go horribly wrong. This, this boat might be lost, but also our lives are also at risk here. Now, they, they didn't listen, which you can imagine why. If you have a captain of the ship um, and a bunch of really good sailors there, and then you have this random prisoner named Paul, like, who would you trust when it comes to making life and death decisions on a boat? You're going to go with the captain of the ship. That's pretty obvious. So there's pretty good wisdom being used here, and Paul's like, yeah, I, that was just a far cry for help, but whatever. It'll we'll work out. But he does certainly have a voice. And he pipes up and he listens and he has to make a decision there. One of the things I couldn't help but realize going back into this story, going back even to uh, the, the trials that Paul was, un was under, what did Paul have all along? This unwavering integrity where his words were simple truth. He wasn't playing political games. He wasn't trying to schmooze. He just let his yes be yes and his no be no. Very plain, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm being accused of. This is what I want. This is what I want for you. I wish you guys would all be like me, minus the chains, but I wish you guys would all be Christians. How can you, how can you not deny what has happened to you in plain sight? He just used integrity of speech, integrity of character, and just allowed those things to just speak. But also, he remained missionally focused. He remained on task. He didn't swerve. He didn't say, oh, yes, Jesus, but I also would like some political gain. Or yes, I would also like my particular personal freedoms. He didn't, he didn't say any of that. He said, on task, I'm headed to Rome. And as I'm here, I might as well give you this defense of the gospel. You need to believe in him. You don't have a chance without him. 
And he, all along the line, he just let the words of his mouth speak the realities of the clear gospel, and that proved to be very fruitful, especially at a time like this. But we also see that God gave him clear influence, and you can go to uh, really throughout all this chapter, but 34 through 36, I think are some of the most amazing uh, portions here. Again, they're, they're, about to, they're about to die in their minds. And in verse 34, Paul's the one who's like, listen guys, you haven't eaten. I care for you guys. This will help. Let's eat. And then in the middle of this, amongst pagan sailors, he goes, but first, let's, let's thank the Lord. And he begins to pray. And all the sailors bow their heads. All right. Yes. He had influence. He let, he let the integrity of the gospel at work in his life just bleed out. He took charge. He did some really cool things. But then when the time came and lives were on the line, he was able to simply pray for a piece of bread in the middle of this and all the sailors, yeah, amen, 276 people. It's pretty astounding. God gave him clearly relational wisdom. And folks, let this be a, an encouragement to us, maybe even a challenge to us. Uh, people, people really don't care how much you know about the gospel until you're able to really love and care for people like this. And to, and to just have this kind of way with people where your words are just simple truth. You're not playing a game with them, right? You're not saying, yes, Jesus, plus I really just want you to be my friend, right? I've got to have you. Or vice versa, or yes, Jesus, and also get on my level. If you could just step up your game just a little bit, that would be great. Oh, and yeah, you need to also, Jesus, it's a pretty, pretty big deal. No, 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 no. Just let the realities of the gospel speak into your life in a way that almost makes you invisibly influential. Where people forget, oh man, he's had it rough. He's a prisoner. <laughs> people kind of forget who you are and they simply just hear of Christ and the realities of the gospel and it just speaks and it's helpful. And people feel fed and cared for and nourished by what you're doing around them amazing. God gave clear, clearly Paul uh, gave, he gave Paul relational wisdom. But also God gave Paul practical wisdom. Practical wisdom. I mentioned that uh, there was a little bit of a decision uh, that had to be made between the captain of the ship and Paul. Who's, who's going to win that argument? Okay, the captain of the ship. But let it be known, Paul had a little voice in that, in that moment. But Paul also had a reason for it. Uh, there's actually a lot of commentators who tried to defend Paul being more experienced on the sea level than some of the, uh, some of the sailors, maybe even the captain, just because of how many times Paul had sailed and been shipwrecked, that Paul actually spoke from a lot of experience when he said, hey, these Northeasterns, uh, they're, they're not a joke, right? And if that happens, we're, we're all toast here. And this is not a good time. It all kind of lines up where Paul actually wasn't trying to just be a pain in the rear. He was actually speaking from personal firsthand experience as to like, guys, this could go horribly wrong for us if we're not careful. Turns out he, he was right. And we'll get into that little conversation there. But notice how God then began to use his practical wisdom. He did take his experience and he did begin to share his experience. It wasn't taken, but that's not the point. I think the point is like he had practical wisdom that God used to help influence and shape people. And ultimately, it began to support some of his message. But he wasn't firing from the hip. In other words, can I say this? This, this wasn't some, well, I read on Twitter one day. Or, hey, 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 listen, listen, WebMD says, 
This wasn't that kind of like experiential educational knowledge. Paul had a deep knowledge of what it means to sail on these seas. So when he spoke and when he gave his opinion, it was informed, greatly informed, greatly experienced. It was worth actually this discussion of, should I listen to the captain or should I listen to Paul? Paul makes some really good points. Do you, under, you understand what I'm saying? It was, it was very informed. I think a lot of times we're so quick to speak, and certainly in this information age, we get very quick to speak about things that really don't matter. When push comes to shove, when stuff really does matter, and we say things, everyone just kind of touts it as like, well, he thinks he knows what he's saying, but he really doesn't. Let, let, let our opinions be actually shaped around the realities of the gospel and then helping people along with that. And when it's actually time to have a listen to what we're trying to say. We say important things and not unimportant things. Paul understood that in practical wisdom there. You can go to verse 10. Uh, you can also go to verse 31 uh, where, where God gives him some practical uh, wisdom here. He basically says in verse 31, he says to the centurions and the soldiers, unless these sailors stay in the boat, you're all screwed. Which is, again, really practical advice. Hey, if all the sailors try to save their own lives, and we're left here on the boat by ourselves, we're toast. Let's fight this thing all together. Whatever we got to do to keep those sailors on the boat would be really helpful right now. Yes, it was attached to God's promise, but you understand how we use the practical admonition of we need sailors to help conduct the boat to help fulfill God's promise that he made to us? Do you understand how importantly influential that was to saving lives? Sometimes, yes, God does literally steer the boat without captains. Absolutely, he can do that. And, a lot of, and sometimes he just does do that. But also, when God makes a promise and says, hey, you're all going to be kept alive, what, I might, what God might be using at that point is actually sailors who know what they're doing. And so Paul realizes that and says, hey, just a practical thing here, we need sailors to actually do the ship thing. <laughs> That's important. They can't just go. I know they're trying to protect their lives, but listen, we're better together. Let's do it. And so they just cut the ship, they let it go, and they stay on board and say, I'm in it with Paul. That's a good point. It's amazing. It's amazing. Of course, verse 34 as well, uh, practical wisdom of like, listen, 14 days we haven't had bread. At some point, it's time to eat. That's, that's like when you're, when you're hungry, grab a Snickers, right? At some point, you just get hangry, you just got to stop what you're doing, you got to eat. Practical wisdom. Practical wisdom there. But you understand that, you go to verse 20, all of this is helpful. All of this is helpful. But it's not helpful enough. And the reality is, what you see in verse 20 is Luke's first-hand account of his own desperation. His own personal first-hand account. You can have really good relational wisdom, you can have really great practical wisdom, and guess what? You can still end up shipwrecked. Which is exactly what happens in Luke says in the end of verse 20, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. There was something else that God gave Paul that was actually far more influential and far more practical and far more saving than simply just his relational and practical wisdom, as helpful as those things are. Paul actually was given this amazing grace to actually have uh, saving or spiritual wisdom here. There's something even beyond just merely getting by life that's needed at these kind of crisis moments. And Paul was actually able to deliver this. And again, don't, 
hear what I'm trying to say. This isn't a be like Paul. I, I want you to begin to take into account how Paul in this story actually reflects so many aspects of our Savior. And you'll begin to see, like, Paul himself actually isn't the, I mean, he, he is the gift to help save the men. But what this actually ends up showing us is that we need a Jesus to save the us. That, that's actually what you're kind of supposed to take from this story. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to allegorize it uh, or make it just a whole host of a metaphor type situation. But again, I think what we're able to see is the ebb and flow of the realities of the gospel, the killing and the making alive, the finding our hope and the precipice of an eternal death, like finding that stuff in the gospel, and then actually at work in our souls, in the spiritual aspect of our souls. I think you'll begin to see that as we go, and I'll try to allude to it, certainly. But this is amazing. You go to verse 21. Paul makes this comment. At first read, you're probably, oh, snarky Paul. It does sound snarky. But again, I think Paul, because of his influence and because of the relational and practical wisdom that he had, he's actually hoping to get their eyes off of something earthly and say, guys, you missed something. Look what he says in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury or loss. I think he was actually trying to diagnose, like, guys, practical wisdom is not enough. It's not enough. You can make all the right choices. You can have it all right. And at the end of the day, this situation has shown us something, guys. We need something else. There's a bigger need that's reflected here. You should have listened to me. Not because I know all the answers. Not because I am a captain of a ship. Not because I have the credentials to back up my name. But something has happened to me. This even harks back to uh, what Paul said, like, I wish you guys were all like me, which is a bold statement. I wish you guys were all like me. What does he, why does he say that at the end? Because something has happened in my heart in terms of being killed and being made alive that has changed how I view life, how I see life, even the mundane things here. And don't forget, Paul knew bad things was, were going to happen here, but he said, I'm still going through with it. Which shows you, Paul saw things differently than you and I, usually. Paul, Paul saw something different than the sailors. If they knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this, uh, th- this voyage would end in a shipwreck and could cost them dearly their lives, I guarantee you they would have never hopped on board. Paul knew all that, and he still hopped on board. Why? Because there's something that he saw that's different. And so Paul has the confidence, the gospel confidence to say, guys, I see things differently than you, and you should have listened to me regarding this, but no matter. That's what he's, he's like, get your eyes up. You guys have been diagnosed, you're, you, you don't see well. You don't see things the right way. Get your eyes up. And he actually says in verse 22, now I urge you, take heart. Be of courage, he says. Later on in verse 25, same thing. So take heart. Be courageous. You got it wrong. <laughs> but it's okay. Be encouraged. Take heart. Don't fear. Don't, don't listen to your flesh. Doesn't, doesn't this sound like Jesus on the boat with the disciples? They wake him up, Jesus, we're going down. What does he say? Don't fear. Don't be afraid. 
Don't listen, don't listen to what your flesh is telling you. There's something bigger going on here. There's a deeper reality to see than just merely here. Now, I, I mean, it's like, now I get it. You're on a ship and it's going down. You're, you're in a northeastern here, right? But understand, see, see something different real quick. Take heart, take courage. But then notice how then Paul goes right into the promise. Take heart. Hear the word of the Lord. Take heart. I have a direct word from God about this very situation. You're all going to make it. So take heart. Listen to the promise of God. And again, let this reflect into our own lives. We have our sin. We have our ongoing struggles, our anxiety. We have everything in front of us. We have our circumstances. And it's so, so easy for us to be anxious. And it's so easy for us to play the blame game. Well, who got it wrong? Well, I just need to be smarter, and I just need to figure this out. I, give me a little bit more time. I can figure this out. Hear, hear Paul. We should have been listening to something else. We need wisdom from above. We don't just need wisdom right here. Giving you a little bit more time to fix your life isn't going to do anything. Giving you seven tips to battle your sin on your own, that's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. You need to see things differently. You should have listened to Jesus that this was going to end poorly for you if you tried to do this by yourself. Paul sees this and recognizes this and says, but take courage. Don't listen, don't listen to your flesh. Don't, don't give in to the lies of Satan that this is all hopeless. But hear the promise. In Jesus, there is life. And the things you struggle with here, those don't have power over you like you think they do. Yes, they're present in your life. You struggle with the ongoing presence of your flesh at work within you. But take heart. Jesus has defeated your sin and he's defeated your, your, uh, the, your enemy, Satan himself. And he's given you life beyond the grave. You're going to live. Hear that promise. There's so many amazing nuances that actually give even a more Christological picture. I could, I could give a couple. Don't let them dissuade you. But um, one of them, like even this idea of um, Paul having uh, a dinner a dinner and saying he's literally breaking bread. I don't, I don't pretend to think that this was some sort of uh, Lord's table moment here. I, I don't. I don't think it's a Lord's table moment in, in, this, in the actual boat. But you, can't you hear the words of Jesus where he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Come, take, eat of my body. Hear the promise of God. Don't, don't look at the surrounding things. What does your soul need? It needs Jesus. Come, take, eat. Take this gift I've given to you. Again, life is crazy right around them. And he's like, listen, focus on this gift of life that God has given you. Also the reality that Paul is both Roman and Jew and at this uh, moment is actually playing some really cool uh, dual games with, with Paul's nature, if you will, or who Paul is. And of course, that got Jesus in trouble being God. And man, there's so many interesting things that play out in this story where you're like, I think, I wonder if Luke is actually making some like Christological presentation of Paul here in this moment. Again, I don't think that that even really matters because I think it helps highlight the reality that Christ was at work in Paul's life to help demonstrate the gospel in his life and in his circumstances, which is the same thing that God is doing at work in us through your sin and your struggle and your circumstances. 
He's working his death and his life out in your life. That's what he's doing. And so it's not enough for you to use merely your relational wisdom or your practical wisdom to kind of get by in the Christian life. Those things are helpful, but they're not the end. What God wants you to see is that actually the gospel itself, Jesus himself, is actually the gift that he's given you that actually saves in your life. Actually does the work of saving even when there's things like a shipwreck in your life, things that kind of catastrophic. You can actually jump on board a sinking ship knowing and resting in the promise of God. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, Another thing that I wanted to point out, maybe the most Christological moment in this whole passage is chapter, uh, verse 24, at the very end. First of all, he says he must stand before Caesar. So he gives Paul the same kind of, you're you're going to stay on mission. I'm, I'm going to keep you on mission. You have the same task. No, man, you're getting to Caesar. But at the very end, I love this line. Behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. That, if that doesn't cry out the reality of who Jesus is for you and for me, I don't know what is. God literally says to Paul, anyone who's with you will be saved. First of all, the, the, the moment there for Paul. Like, what? Doesn't it just re- reflect of Christ? It's almost like God the Father looking at Jesus. Anybody who's with you is in. Or Jesus himself saying, the Father has entrusted those to me. Those are mine. Those are my sheep. They're my own. I've called them by my name. Anybody in Christ will be saved. What a powerful moment. And I was reflecting of the song, the little kid's song my kids used to sing in, in Sunday school, with Jesus in the boat, I can smile at the storm. What wisdom that is. What profound wisdom that is. With Jesus in the boat, if Jesus is with you, if his presence is there, then you're going to be saved. And what is it that there's things swirling in around you? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But God's gift of wisdom to see things clearly, to see things in that way, to have this kind of bubble of peace amongst the, just the craziest storm, that little shield of peace is just simply the view of wisdom. To, to view life real life from God's perspective and to be able to look at everything through that filter and to see things well and then to certainly act well, to certainly act with practical wisdom and relational wisdom as God gives you to use to actually help people, to save people, to go win people. But at the same time, you have to be able to see things clearly. First of all, you need that for your own self. But we have to go with other people and get them to see things clearly as well. It's not enough for them to just learn seven great tips for journeying across the Aegean Sea. That, that's not great. I mean, that's fine, but they have to know Jesus. And it's the same with, with you and with me. So my friends, take, take heart. Take heart. If Jesus is with you, you have all the wisdom you need to be saved in any situation. There's no sin or circumstance or hardship or calm wind before the horrible storm. There's no situation if Jesus isn't with you that you will not be saved. 
Salvation can be found amongst all those circumstances and situations because Jesus is with you. You say, well, how do you know he's with me? Look here. Behold. Jesus says to you, this is my body. Look around you. See these people that God's given you? He's here with us. Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, so I am there amongst you. The Spirit's in you. Can't deny that. You can't unsee what you've seen. He's with you. He's that saving wisdom for every situation that allows you to then reflect that wisdom and give that wisdom back out to help others. It's amazing in this story how influential Paul was. And it's my prayer as well that for, for us, that God would allow us to be influential here in this little pocket of central Ohio and abroad, wherever God takes you as, as he takes you throughout this city. And it's not just, again, it's, it's not just influence for influence sake, right? You can go read a book on how to influence others. There's a gazillion of them. And you know, it, it's not going to help. My help, again, my help for people, I'm not saying they're not helpful, but you understand what I'm saying. It can't save people who are going through this kind of soul stress and struggle. But having the wisdom of Christ and seeing him for all that he is does give you something to then go influence people with. Say, listen, I could give you some of these self-help tips and relational tips. That, those are going to be awesome. But listen, you need to see something from above. You need to see your life as God sees you. Y- you need to see the reality of Jesus at work in your life. You need the life of Christ in you to give you that hope no matter where you are or what you struggle with. And certainly, folks, we, we need that as well. That's my prayer as we go forward through this year, that God would give us influence, but not just any kind of influence. Christ-like influence. God's wisdom kind of influence here in our city. Let's pray for that, and let's continue to work for that as we go. Let's pray. God, we realize that you do have things prepared for us to be doing this week. And I don't know, Father, if you have us in boats with people who are, are going down with the ship. Father, maybe it's just smooth sailing for this week. Maybe you have that for us. Uh, maybe you've given us that kind of southern wind to just be able to kick it back for just a little bit and, and, and chill with folks, Father. And what, a, what a blessing that would be. But Father, even there throughout every situation, Father, we need a wisdom that is from above. And we can't get that on our own. That's not something we see by natural sight. Father, left to our own devices, Father, there's no way we could save ourselves, even with the amount of relational or practical wisdom we could throw, uh, throw at these things, Father. We can't save ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves from our sin. We can't rescue ourselves from our situations. There are so many burdens, Father, that we have yet to lift because, Father, we're just too small. And the reality is, we, we easily confess to you, we don't see things well. We, we sometimes think we see things well, but Father, we know we're missing something because fear and anxiety still rule and reign in our hearts. Sin still shows itself up in our hearts when we know we believe in Christ. We, we know we trust the gospel. So Father, in our belief, would you help our unbelief Would you give us eyes of wisdom to be able to see people as you see them, 
to be able to see ourselves as you see us, as both a functional sinner, but primarily a saint in Jesus, one who has been clean and washed in Christ, one who's been set free from sin and shame to go and then missionally serve our neighbor. And Father, just like you kept Paul on mission, Father, I don't think you have any uh, uh, inclinations at this very moment to swerve us off our mission. You, you still want us to be about making disciples, proclaiming the gospel so that people believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. That, that's what you desire for us this week. And so, Father, your, your work is to keep us on that mission, to keep going. So, Father, help us to see things clearly. Help us to be spiritually wise, certainly relationally and practically wise as you allow us. But, Father, may we always speak about the wisdom given to us in Jesus. Praise the things through Christ. salvation come on to me